0: Well, I think before we get an opportunity to open up God's Word, I would love for all of you to get this chance on this Sunday to get a chance to say hello to somebody who's next to you. So I'm going to take a brief break before I preach. I'd love for you to stand up and say hello to the people who are near you. Go ahead and take a few minutes and do that. I'm afraid if I don't stop you, you may continue forever. But don't worry. For those of you who didn't get enough, there's more after the service. So feel free to hang around and stay after the worship service to continue to talk to other folks. We would love for you to continue to connect like that. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic! Is your name in all the earth? You know, the whole of God's creation, it sings the praises of God. It sings the glories of God. And when my family, we go on trips to one place or another, this is something that we enjoy doing. When we see a beautiful scenery, some amazing part of God's creation, we get to ask the question what does this teach us about who God is or some aspect of his person? You know, we look at the Grand Canyon and we think, man, that's God's power on display to carve out a canyon like that. The Rocky Mountains show us the immense, huge nature of God. The butterfly gardens show us God's creativity, or the ocean shows us how God is just this infinite being. The whole world is speaking of God's glory. It teaches us of who He is. And today, we're starting in a series called, not that, <laughs> back one more. There it is, called, O oh Lord. This series is called, O oh Lord, because we will be looking at five Psalms with this as the center point of them all, is saying, O oh Lord, and then some message. Today, the message is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I get the privilege of opening up for you the glory of God. This is the highest thing I think we can set our minds to. In fact, the mission of Cornerstone Church is to glorify God. That's the purpose, the mission of this church. Glorify God. And then the rest of the mission statement, by making as many people as possible fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, that is how we're seeking to do the glorification of God. So today, we get to think about the main purpose of our church, which is the glorification of God. Let us pray, and then we will read Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, Your name is majestic in all the earth. You have shown us by your creation how glorious you are, and your name is glorified in this world. Father, we ask that as we turn to your special revelation of your word, that you would speak clearly through your word. Thank you for your servant David who penned this psalm and who gave us your very words words of life to point us toward your own glory. Lift our minds higher. Take our minds away from the things of this world and elevate us and our minds to the place of your own glory, as this psalm says, above the heavens. You have a word to speak. Will you speak it now to your people? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Read with me now Psalm chapter 8, the whole psalm. To the choir master... and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, in this psalm, David is exalting the glory of God. How majestic is it in all the earth? And we've seen how God's glory is majestic in some of the things that he's created already. And yet David feels the need to go beyond even the earth to say, you have set your glory above even the heavens. Now if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament language of heavens, you might think back to Genesis chapter 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth. Heavens frequently in the Old Testament just means like the sky that is above us, the space that is above us. Yes, there is a heaven which God inhabits with his angels, and yet there is the heavens which stand above us. And it's like the the psalmist here, David, is saying, your glory is set above the cosmos or if I can use a euphemism, your glory is out of this world. God, your glory is so spectacular, I can't put words to it. It elevates itself above the whole of creation. You see, God's glory cannot be contained even in the heavens, for we have an infinite God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth and your glory set above the heavens. Notice what it says in that first verse how majestic is your name in all the earth? You see, the name of God is equated here with the person of God. It is the name of God which is majestic, but that also means that it is the person of God who is majestic. Because even in his name, his covenant name he gives to Israel, Yahweh, means I am. And so whatever you say of God's name, you say of who he is. So to say that God's name is majestic in all the earth is to say that God is majestic in all the earth. His person is elevated and glorious among everything in the earth. You see, actually, this is the reason why he commands his name to not be taken in vain. For to treat his name in vain, to treat it lightly or flippantly, is to treat God lightly or flippantly. This is why we do not use the Lord's name in vain either in irreverent use of it or in swear. But this statement, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, for David in this psalm, it is more than just a declarative statement. It's more than doctrinal truth. It's more than his treatise through poem on who God is. This psalm, and the other psalms we'll look at in this series, this is worship. I know this is worship because we can read it right there in the psalm itself, before verse 1 ever begins, to the choir master, to the one who leads the singers according to the Giddith." Your Bible may have a little footnote there, Giddith meaning some sort of a musical term. This psalm is a musical melody. It's meant to be sung as worship to God. It contains truth. And yet it is more than just declarative truth. It is a song of worship to God. You know, you and I, we do this every single Sunday. We did it today. We took the truths of who God is and what he has done, and we did it more than just stated them. We worshiped God with them through song. We sang, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. That is true. God is holy, holy, holy. All the saints do adore him casting down their crowns. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Which word and art and evermore shall be. No, you can say those things. God is the one who's worshipped by angels. Angels falling down, seraphim and cherubim, falling down before him, who was and is and is to come. But you can also worship with those songs. You can sing them as the delight of your heart to glorify God using the truths of who God is. You see, God's glory captures our attention. It ought to captivate our attention. For he is the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most wonderful thing we can set our minds on. It should move us to want to understand him more. It should move us so that we would compose works of literature to expound on who he is, to write poems and songs declaring who he is. But more than anything else, the glory of God should move us to worship God himself. And with the psalmist, we say, O Lord, our Lord, your name is majestic in all the earth. This is worship. You're being called to worship the glory of this God. And yet, the psalm itself recognizes that not everyone glorifies God. Verse 2 starts in, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established your strength. Why? Because of your foes. You see, God has enemies. Enemies who would seek to steal glory from him, who would refuse to give him the glory that he is due. You see, God is worthy of glorification from all of creation and from every created being. And yet, there are many, most, in fact, all who are born into this world who do not glorify God. You know, I love the kids back there in the children's ministry, but they're a bunch of heathens back there. (laughs) A bunch of non-believers. Now, some of y'all's kids, I know you're Christians. Praise the Lord for that. But some of them have yet to come to faith in Christ. And there are still within their heart a rebellious heart to desire their own glory. Any parents want to say amen at this point? You see... There are those who would steal God of his glory. It's not just children. We know. We know as adults, as teenagers in here, there are many who would rob God of the glory that he is due. And God has a plan to deal with those who will rob him of glory. He says that his strength is established, what? Out of the mouth of babies and infants. It is the purpose of God to use the weak things. Babies and infants doesn't get any weaker than that. To use the weak things of this world to shame the strong. To use the powerless things of this world to overpower the powerful. The cross of Christ is the best example of this. For in the greatest act of humiliation and of uh, powerlessness tied to the cross, the one who is powerless on the cross is the all-powerful Savior who redeems You see, God uses the weak things of this world. We even read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Consider who Jesus was not one of great strength and power, not one of might in this world, according to the world's standards of power and influence, but one who was meek, one who was lowly, humbled, even to the point of death on a cross. And it is by Jesus' own death on a cross that he puts to shame the powerful things of this world, those who would seek by their power to refuse God glory. And so God says that he has established out of the mouth of the weakest things in this world First Corinthians speaking of Christians even, that he would put to shame the things that are strong so that he might receive all the glory because no one may boast before God when he uses what is weak in this world because what is weak in this world will say all the glory belongs to God anyway. It was not me but him. All glory belongs to our God. And his glory is on display in all the earth. We even see as David continues on in, on in his song of worship. Verses 3 and 4 says, When I look at the heavens, remember those that expanse above him, the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made. When he looks at all of this that God has put above us, the moon and the stars. David, our psalmist, considers these cosmic heavenly beings. And he says, these are but the playthings for you, God. They are the works of your fingers. You think of clay for a minute. How unimpressive is a clay sculpture in comparison to the one who sculpts the clay? We don't look at a clay pot that's beautifully designed and say, wow, that pot is an incredible pot. You know what? That pot did a great job making itself. No, we say the potter who made that must be very skilled. So too, when we look at the stars and the moon and the skies and clouds, when we consider all of this in comparison to God, they are unimpressive. You know, all of creation, it screams the glory of God. And yet it is but Plato in his hands. When you look at the images coming back from the new James Webb Space Telescope, and if you haven't seen some of the images, go look at them on the internet. They are amazing, truly astounding images coming from deep, deep space. You know what those images display to us? Plato in the hands of an infinite God, shaping them into whatever form he pleases. For his glory is of far greater measure than anything you will see out of that telescope. All of creation sings the glories of God. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise him. All creatures. Every created being. Praise him. Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, O praise Him, sun and moon, In their createdness glorifying God. Thou rushing wind that art so strong, Thou ye clouds that sail in heaven along, Oh, praise Him. All that is in the skies, the wind and the clouds, praising God. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. You see, all of the cosmos worships God. It displays the glory of God. And we must recognize where we stand here. The psalmist, David, says, when I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Wow! What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? When we consider the vastness of this universe and the God which stands above it all and who plays with it like Plato, who are we? that he cares for us. You and I are specks on a bump in the universe. The tiniest thing in this galaxy. And yet, God does care for us. You know what? This is what Job is confronted with. When he gets a little uppity, you know, some of you know the beginning part of Job, where Job does really well with his suffering. Keep reading on in the book of Job. Job kind of gets uppity with God toward the end of the book of Job. Here's what God has to say toward Job at the end. Verse, or chapter 38, verses 1 through 12 of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. All right, we're not off to a great start here for Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning star sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further." And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since the beginning of your days and caused the dawn to know its place? Job, who are you? Were you around when I created everything? Job, are you the one who tells the ocean wind to stop? Who sets it in and said, Waves, you end here. Are you the one who causes the sun to come up and set every day, Job? Is that you that does that? Who are you? You are small. God said, he points this out to Job. Job answers back to God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice and I will proceed no further. Job rightly understands himself in relation to God. God is the one who sets the ocean's limits. He is the one who founds the world. And in comparison to him, we are a very small account. This is a good thing. This is good because it shows us our God is so much elevated above us. He is so much more infinite of us. And we need this for ourselves. For he is the strong and steady anchor for our souls. And yet, the psalmist points us to a wonderful... Beautiful truth. You and I are specks on bumps in the universe, but He cares for us. What is man that you are mindful of us? The Son of Man that you care for Him. God is mindful of you. You are very small, but God cares deeply about you. He is mindful of you. In fact, more than mere mindfulness or care for us, God chooses you and me to display his glory in this world. We are made to be image bearers of the God, being reflections of him in this world. Look what he says. David points this out in verses 5 through 8. He says that you have crowned him with glory and honor. You and I are crowned with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over cattle and birds and fish, over wild beasts, given him dominion over everything that's in the sea, over the works of God's hand, and you've put everything under his feet. You see, even though you and I are very small, God has given us a very large task, and that is to glorify him in this world, to be reflections of his image in this world in our original design, before sin ever came into the world, humanity was to rule the cosmos under God's authority as royal kings and queens of this universe, to carry God's image to the furthest corners of the earth, to fill the earth with his image. You see the godless, evolutionary atheism taught in our culture and in our schools. It sees humanity not for these glorious beings that God's created us to be, but rather for blights on the good, crea- the good uh, creation that's here. They wouldn't even call it creation. Humanity is polluting environments and murdering animals and destroying nature. And for them, humanity is but cancer on the world. That is not the way the Bible presents humanity. The Bible is honest about the fact that in our sin, we break this world. We do things we ought not to. But fundamentally, as human beings made in the image of God, we have the greatest capacity over all other things in God's creation to glorify our God. For no one else, nothing else in this creation was made in his image. You, unique in the way that God has made you, you can glorify God in a way nothing else in the entire cosmos can or ever will again. God has made you to do this, to bring Him glory. You see, the Psalm tells us that we are made a little lower than the heavenly beings. In evolution, we're grown up monkeys. In the scriptures, We are glorious beings made in the image of a glorious God. Let me ask you, the next time you're counseling a depressed teen or family member, which narrative do they need to hear? Cancer on a world? Or that you are a glorious image-bearer of God, made to glorify this wonderful God who cares for you? God made us, that we might glorify him. And while we were created, these glorious beings, to glorify God, we know that we don't do that today, do we? Even, I mentioned, the children in the back. Some of them already in their lives seeking glory for themselves. And there are so many in this world. Every person born a sinner who seeks to glorify themselves rather than God. We're designed to know God in his glory and reflect his glory in this world. And yet, even among Christians, we too often replace beholding the glory of God with something far, far less. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. You've probably seen this scenario play its way out. If you've gone on a vacation somewhere beautiful before, you're somewhere that is just the most stunning place uh, recently, Kate and I were up at Lake George. Some of you have been there before. That is some of the clearest water I have seen in the United States, at least, in my life. That is an amazing lake. It is beautiful, and I want to just stare. Kate will tell you, when, when I see clear water like that, I just want to like, look at it for a really absurdly long time. Like I'll just stare at it. It just amazes me. Maybe that's because we come from Texas and the Gulf of Mexico is just mud. But I want to stare at it because there's something beautiful about that. Or maybe you've gone to another place where you've seen beautiful mountains, or you've gone up, you've seen the Aurora Borealis, and you look around and you think, wow, this is incredible, and you look to your right, and that person's checking their email. You look over here, and this kid's watching Daniel Tiger? Like, kids and adults glued to their screens when the glory of God is on display? substituting something much smaller for something truly amazing. This is what we do sometimes. We substitute what is truly glorious in this world, the glory of God, for the trifles of this world, distracted from beholding the greatness of the glory of our God because of the small, menial things of this world. So let me ask you, are you distracted by the trifles of this world instead of beholding the glory of God? You know, do you know more about your favorite TV show than you know about your God? Are you more excited to binge watch the next season than you are to learn more about who he is? Is your mind more controlled by your phone or by your Bible? And I'm speaking to you as a weak man to weak men. I understand the temptations to supplement the glory of God, replace it with the trifles of the things of this world. I too have needed to put my phone down and to look around. I too have needed to move away from my favorite TV show and remember that I need to elevate my mind to think of the things that are above this world, not the things on this world. Brothers and sisters, we can sleepwalk through this life so distracted by the immediate that we will forget the ultimate, which is our God, amusing ourselves to death. If you have been saved from your sins, renewed by Jesus Christ, born again, Satan has no hold on your soul. But you know what his next best tactic is going to be? If he can keep you distracted long enough, thinking nothing of God and the eternal things concerning him, and he will make you ineffective and unfruitful for the kingdom of our God. It will be the work of Satan to distract Christians away from God's glory so that God will receive less. That is the work of our enemy, and we must not play to his game. We were created to declare, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not caught up with the trifles of this world. You know, there's only one way we can actually declare this. Only one way that humans move from those who are concerned with our own selves to those who are concerned with the glory of God. And that is through a covenant relationship with God. We even see that in our passage today. Verse 9 and verse 1 are the same. They're bookends on this psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your translation or the ones that you saw on your screen or the back of your bulletin, that first Lord is probably all capital for you. If you see that in your Bible, in all capital L-O-R-D, that is the covenant name of God, the name he gives to Israel to call him, and that is the name of Yahweh. So this word, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, So when the psalmist pens this, when David writes this psalm, he's thinking of Yahweh, his covenant God, the one who created a special relationship with his people Israel. You see, David is himself in a covenant relationship as are Christians, and yet the covenant that we are in as believers in Jesus Christ is superior to the covenant that David was in. Hebrews chapter 9 takes the language of Psalm chapter 8 here and points us to the kind of covenant that Christians find themselves in. Hebrews 2 verse 9, "...but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone." It is Jesus who was the Son of Man, made a little lower than the angels for a time, as the psalm says, made a little lower than the heavenly beings so that he might die for sinners and bring them into an eternal covenant with God. Jesus did this for you and for me. He did what you and I were unable to do, and that is to perfectly glorify God. As sinners, we could never have done this. We would have been constant glory robbers from God. None of us would ever sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We were far too busy singing our praises. But Jesus perfectly worshiped God. He perfectly reflected God in this world as the only perfect image bearer of God made man. And Jesus magnified God through his entire life. When he dies, he dies so that you and I can be forgiven of our failure to do so and empowered so that we might glorify God. So that we may have the freedom to say because of Jesus, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May it be majestic in your lives. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All the universe sings your praises. We see your glory on display all around us. You are most glorious, wonderful, and beautiful, most worthy of our worship. Besides you, there is no other. There is no one to compare you to. There is no one like you. You are the highest height our mind can contemplate. And your holiness is most holy. Your glory is most glorious. Our great God... Lead us by your Holy Spirit to know you in all your glory. Give us a fervent desire to experience more of you. Do not hide your glory from us, but reveal yourself to us. Captivate us with a grand vision of who you are. Fix our eyes on you. Do not let us be distracted by the things of this world. Let there be no counterfeit gods in our hearts, none that will compare to you. Father, to you belong the kingdom and power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.